Hello, and welcome to So Sue, the show where we bring real-world legal analysis to some of the most popular fictional universes. My name is Joel Von Hengst Esquire, a civil litigation trial attorney and huge nerd coming to you from the fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome to our debut episode. And today, we are going to be taking on a question that inspired the entire series, beginning with the one and only Boy Who Lived, Harry Potter. Specifically, could Harry Potter bring a lawsuit against Hogwarts? Before we dive in, it wouldn't be a legal show if we didn't have a couple of necessary disclaimers, caveats, and admonitions from our legal department, which is... Well, me. First of all, our legal analysis will be applied as if the United States had jurisdiction over this matter. Second, this show is for entertainment only. Nothing that is discussed here is meant to serve as legal advice or application to any other person's circumstances or legal issues. This is all just for funsies. And third, to anyone who has not seen any of the Harry Potter movies or read the books, I mean... <laughs> Major story spoilers ahead. So here's how this and every episode will be framed. First, we're going to review the facts of the case, focusing on specific story elements that might support or disprove a legal action. Second, we will talk about the kind of law that would address the issue and the legal requirements that the character would need in order to prove their case. And finally, we will apply the facts to the law and at the end, decide if we have a case. For this episode, we need to add some additional boundaries on the scope. Given the wealth of Harry Potter media that's out there, we're going to limit today's analysis to what we see in the movie version of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Along those lines, it's also worth mentioning that Harry could have an entirely separate action against the Dursleys for things like false imprisonment, battery, and conversion to start. Before today, let's just keep it focused on Hogwarts. Ready to dive in? Let's take a look at Harry Potter versus Hogwarts. Part one, the facts. We are going to pick up our analysis at the official beginning of the school year where Dumbledore makes several announcements to the students and, more accurately, gives several warnings, which includes, <clears throat> The dark forest is strictly forbidden to all students, and that the third floor corridor on the right-hand side is off-limits to those who do not wish to die a painful death. This, of course, begs the question, the right-hand side from whose perspective? But you know what? Never mind that now. During their first meal after the sorting ceremony, the children are introduced to the local ghosts who haunt the school, including the aptly named Nearly Headless Nick, who takes a moment to exemplify exactly why his headless state is merely nearly. From there, the children are escorted to their house common rooms, where they are warned that the stairways within the school itself like to change. We next see the children beginning their classes 
and learning how to use their wands, which resulted in Seamus Finnegan exploding himself. Twice. Including one time when he was trying to make actual rum. Let's ponder that for a second. Eleven-year-olds trying to magically make alcohol. It does make you wonder which would have been worse, if he had failed or if he had succeeded. Now, in their introduction to broomstick flying, Neville Longbottom falls off of his broom and breaks his arm. And you know what? Thankfully not his neck from the height at which he fell. Like, not even an arresto momentum spell from Madam Hooch? I mean, it is taught to second-year students. No? Just gonna let them fall all the way to the ground and hope for the best? Cool. Let's see how that works out for him. Oh, his arm broke. Shane. Who would have thought that from, you know, a broomstick flying lesson? Next. Almost predictably, really, our three protagonists end up in the third floor corridor where they don't belong thanks to the moving staircase that they were warned about and through no desire of their own to get there. And there they come across the dreaded Cerberus, a.k.a. Fluffy, which they were able to reach because they were taught the Alohomora spell, which also raises a question on why anyone bothers to lock any doors at Hogwarts if they're just going to teach their first-year students the spell on how to unlock them. Soon after, Harry, Ron, and Hermione encounter a rogue troll, and through, um, what did Professor McGonagall call it? A sheer dumb luck managed to defeat it with a limited actual damage to anyone. The children then engage in a friendly and certainly not lethal game of Quidditch, access the restricted section of the library, which almost definitely has no dangerous books like the Necronomicon in there, and encountered the Mirror of Erised, which, as Dumbledore himself noted, can make people waste away in front of it and go mad. Fun and personally humiliating fact, I only just recently learned that Erised is just desire spelled backwards. Uh, moving on. For the egregious and unforgivable act of being out past their bedtime, Harry, Ron, and Draco are given detention into the very same dark force that was strictly forbidden at the start of the school year to students. And while we think this may be a cruel form of student punishment, we have to remember that Filch, the Hogwarts caretaker, mentioned that students used to be hung by their thumbs in the dungeon. Let's take a moment to ponder that casual aside as well. Hogwarts used to hang students by their thumbs in the dungeons. And this sadistic caretaker misses their squealing? Wow. Anyway, the Dark Forest is known to contain centaurs unfriendly to wizards and witches, giant spiders, werewolves, and currently something hunting unicorns. And while this lethal force was forbidden to students at the start of the school year, apparently hunting down a unicorn killer is an appropriate disciplinary measure at Hogwarts. Personally, hang me by my thumbs. Harry Potter himself encounters that threat that we later learn to be Voldemort, and might have been killed if not saved by friends, a centaur who happens to be friendly towards wizards.
The movie's plot reaches its peak when the kids discover the existence of the Sorcerer's Stone. In their attempt to reach it, they fight their way through Fluffy, the three-headed dog, Devil Snare Vines, Wizard's Chess, and Flying Animated Keys. And this, of course, leads to the final confrontation between Harry Potter and the revealed Professor Quirrell, who has been harboring Voldemort as a fugitive, literally in the back of his turban-covered skull. Thanks to Lily Potter's protection spell, Harry managed to kill Quirrell, if not Voldemort, and then the spirit of Voldemort flies through Harry Potter, knocking him unconscious, but apparently unharmed. That's a lot of facts that we've covered. Now we're going to examine the law that addresses this potential lawsuit by Harry Potter right after this. Do you ever feel like sometimes you just can't get through to someone? Maybe it's your spouse or your coworker or your kids. Maybe at a presentation. Communication is the electricity that powers relationships. And at Captivating Council, we help you become a master of communication. Discover your communication style so that you can tailor your message in a way that builds stronger relationships at work and at home. Visit www.captivatingcouncil.com to learn how our direct and experienced consulting will make sure your message is positively received. Captivating Council, connection through compelling communication. Welcome back to Harry Potter versus Hogwarts, part two, the law. Now that we've gone over the facts of this case, we're going to address the law that would apply. And here we're dealing in the realm of torts, which is the fancy legal word for when someone does something wrong against someone else. That person can sue for money for the injuries they received caused by the other person. We call that tort law. In this case, Harry Potter would be the plaintiff, the person who is bringing the lawsuit, and Hogwarts would be the defendant saying, wait, we didn't do anything wrong. And Harry Potter has the burden to prove his case that Hogwarts done messed up. And he has to prove that by what is called the preponderance of the evidence, which basically means what is more likely true than not true. So if Harry Potter can show it's more likely true that Hogwarts did all these things that hurt him, then a jury might award him money for what he suffered. Hey, Joel, what are these things you're talking about, you might ask? And that's a fantastic question, random listener. Harry Potter and all plaintiffs must prove four things in every personal injury or tort case. Number one, that the defendant owed a duty of care to the plaintiff. Number two, that the defendant breached or broke that duty of care. Number three, that the defendant's breach of that duty of care caused harm to the plaintiff. And number four, the value of plaintiff's damages caused by the defendant. In short, duty, breach, causation, damages. With that general understanding of the law in mind, let's move on to... Harry Potter versus Hogwarts Part 3, Applying the Law to the Facts. Let's start with duty, and that's D-U-T-Y, not D-O-O. You know what? Never mind. Uh, Harry first has to prove, is it more likely true that Hogwarts owed a duty of care for the well-being of Harry Potter? And I mean, yeah. 
And just like every school has a duty to care for the safety of its students when they are on school property. No issues there. What about number two? Did Hogwarts breach its duty of care? Good grief, in many ways. Now, let's go back through in the same order that we discussed the facts. First, the ghosts. Yeah, this was a kid's movie and book, and the ghosts are intended to be more funny than scary. I mean, why else would they cast John Cleese to play nearly headless Nick, am I right? But imagine if you were put at that dining table, and a ghostly head suddenly pops up in the middle of your meal. You would freak out, especially if you never saw ghosts before and you're relatively new to the magic world like Harry was. We might call that negligent infliction of emotional distress. And Hogwarts might be negligent for allowing the ghost to stay there. What about the stairs? I mean, we can imagine the catastrophic or even fatal injuries that might be caused by long flights of stairs that are moving on their own. Did Hogwarts breach its duty by not having a safe set of stairs to move up and down? Yeah, likely so. Hogwarts also probably breached its duty in the training of students on proper wand usage. Poor Seamus exploded himself. Twice! Where are the regulations and the safeguards to keep students from potentially damaging themselves and others? Giving a kid a wand is like handing them a loaded gun. And we know this because we see countless people getting killed by, you know, wands. <coughs> About a cadaver. <coughs> Someone is going to get hurt without serious supervision, training, and safety protocols in place. The same can also be said for their broomstick training, as poor Neville found out firsthand when he broke his arm. Again, the lack of supervision and safety mechanisms in place opens the door wide for kids to get hurt. We also have a lot of additional potential dangers that the children are able to access like the restricted section of the library, the mirror of Erised, Fluffy, the devil snare weeds, the lethal set of wizard's chests, and the charmed keys. Granted, students are not allowed to go to the places where those things were, but the fact that they were able to reach those places or things may make Hogwarts responsible for not having better safeguards in place to prevent students from either intentionally or accidentally accessing them. So in many ways, Hogwarts breached its duty of care. But let's look at that third element of causation. What harm was caused to Harry Potter as a result of these multiple breaches of duty? Well, nothing at all. Because, you know, kids movie. And Harry Potter's the good guy. So nothing bad is going to happen to him. The movie shows us lots of potential harm, but none that actually occurs to Harry. We see Neville break his arm, and Seamus gets soot or ash on his face a couple times. Ron gets knocked out from the wizard's chest, but none of these things harm Harry. And he's the plaintiff here. But let's talk about a few things that aren't negligence at all, starting with Quidditch. That can probably be compared to participating in any school sports event like football. Kids can and do get hurt playing sports, but they also know that going into the sport, and they have the option not to participate. Even if they do participate, there's probably a waiver of liability if they do. Thus, Hogwarts 
likely will not be found to be negligent for any injuries caused from students playing Quidditch. What about the troll, you ask? Well, the troll, again, was a potential danger, but Hogwarts didn't cause that troll to be there, at least not directly. The evil Professor Quirrell did, and without the school's knowledge or permission. So if someone did get hurt from the troll, their issue is with Quirrell, not Hogwarts. Speaking of Quirrell, though, Harry might have a good case against the school for what we call negligent hiring, training, supervision, and retention. I mean, they allowed an agent of the Dark Lord Sauron, I mean, sorry, Voldemort, wrong world, into a school to teach, of all things, defense against the dark arts. What kind of screening did they do? Their negligent hiring and supervision of Professor Quirrell almost killed Harry Potter and allowed Voldemort to return. But again, Harry didn't suffer any permanent damage other than being temporarily knocked out when the spirit of Voldemort flew through him. But looking ahead at the future books and movies, I mean, Hogwarts really needs to take a close look at its interviewing process for professors teaching defense against the dark arts, a subject perhaps for a later episode. There is one final point to bring up though, and that is the idea of punitive damages. That's when a jury awards a lot of money to be paid by a defendant who knows it's doing wrong and intends the consequences of its actions. And here, Hogwarts knew how dangerous the Dark Forest was. Dumbledore literally called it off-limits. And despite knowing what a danger it was, the school still sent three unprepared students, a cowardly dog, and a half-giant unable to legally cast magic to go deal with a unicorn killer. If anything had happened to those kids, Hogwarts might become bankrupt in a personal injury claim for knowingly sending its students into harm's way. So does Harry Potter have a viable lawsuit against Hogwarts? We're going to wrap it all up right after this. All attorneys are not the same. But man, you'd think that looking at any of their commercials. And when you need an attorney, how do you sort through the noise of jingles and promises of compensation to find someone who is sincere in their desire to truly help others? If you're looking for a different kind of lawyer, then you need to look to the 702 firm injury attorneys. We are a Las Vegas firm for the Las Vegas community and beyond. We really hope you never need us, but if you do, then you can trust that you will be represented by attorneys that honestly want to help you. Discover the difference at www.the702firm.com. The 702 Firm, people focused, trial ready. When we look at the whole, Hogwarts acted negligently in many ways, but does Harry Potter have a lawsuit? Probably not, because from what we see in the movies, he suffered no actual damages. Without any damages or harm, there's no basis to bring a lawsuit and probably not worth the time and money it would take to try. But if Harry Potter suffered any significant injuries or harm, then I'd be more than happy to take his case. Thank you so much for listening to So Sue Me. I'm Joel Von Hengst Esquire, your nerd attorney extraordinaire. 
We still have so many great cases to consider from so many wonderful worlds, including Star Wars, Marvel, Star Trek, Game of Thrones, and much, much more. So tune in next time. If you liked what you heard here today, please do the usual. Like, subscribe, share this content with your friends, your fellow nerds, attorneys, and law students. Better yet, do you have a legal question from a movie or TV show that you need answered? Then please leave it in the comments. Maybe that will be the subject of a future episode. And look, if you didn't like anything that you heard here today, <laughs> so soon. We'll see you next time.